This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 1. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. We're grateful to have you here with us today. We're going to be discussing important changes to the laws that impact concealed carry, some recent and some that have just kind of been accruing over the last year or two, and how those have impacted dramatically the kind of construct, the the community and the direct you know, day-to-day living as a concealed carrier. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. But first, we are going to share some sponsor messages. And the first of those is from high-vis sites, high-vis shooting systems. So, Matthew, I don't know if you have any high-vis sites. I imagine you probably do. I, I don't. Talk about them. Oh, you don't? Oh, no, so this is, this is my chance to tell you why you should have yeah. some high-vis sites. Give me, this, give me this, the uh, selling points here. Well, the first selling point, and this probably has no impact to you, but they are based in Wyoming. Hmm. And that's kind of a big deal. You know, freedom-loving, gun-loving Americans are based in Wyoming. But that's nothing to do with it, really. <laughs> so Hive is a great company. These guys have a, such a large variety of sites. We see a lot of companies that sell aftermarket sites that really focus in on handguns, for example. And while Hive's has an extreme large uh, SKU set for handgun aftermarket sites, they also have sites for revolvers, for shotguns, for rifles, um, they, I, I think, if you went to a like a three gun match, for example, you you could see people who are running high vis on multiple of their shooting platforms, and they really work hard to support the competitive shooting sports. They have a, a large number of competitive shooters that they sponsor, that they work with, so they can get feedback on their products and continue to improve. Um, high vis just really puts out a lot of really cool stuff technology they call the light pipe technology which is a patented thing of theirs and it's a combination ah, man i'm going to butcher all the the nomenclature it's a combination of tritium stuff but also fiber optic capabilities so you have you know the fiber optic capabilities but combined with the light emitting you know, benefits of tritium in, in one set and, and so they just really do really good stuff and i really like my high-vis sites i run high-vis on uh, my glock uh, my glock 19 which is one of my two edc guns depending on the day that's often a gun i reach for and i think it's they're, they're really good solid sites when you buy high-vis sites I'll, I'll leave you with this last thought of mine with most of their handgun sites, you can choose uh, colors you want for front and rear sights. And I would encourage you to obviously get contrasting colors. So I would not get a green front and green rear notch. I would get maybe green front and orange rear or orange front and green rear or whatever that might be so that they're contrasting so that when you're you know trying to pick up your sights in, in your uh, target presentation, you can do so quickly with the contrasting colors. So they're pretty cool. I think they're they're pretty competitive priced. And we all know that a good pair of sights is probably something that's pretty important to upgrade on your average EDC gun. So check out High Viz Shooting uh, when you get a chance. Their direct website, Richard, just HiVizSites.com. Yeah, H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. Love it. Great product. And our other sponsor today is CCW Safe. If you are concerned about having the resources to be able to take care of um, the financial and other burdens that would be involved with some sort of legal incident because you had to defend yourself with a gun or something else or maybe a red flag order that's been put against you or any number of other things, then I think you should strongly consider CCW Safe as your partner in that scenario. 
They are very affordable plans. Their Defender plan, which I, I have the Ultimate plan, which is the more expensive option. But the Defender plan, uh, which we don't talk about often, it's, I think it's like it's just shy of $200 a year. And it's extremely solid. For 200 bucks a year, it really will take care of the average person. And I think that if you haven't already, you need to go check out CCW Safe and use coupon code CCPODCAST to save 10% recurring on your membership with CCW Safe. Check it out, ccwsafe.com. All right. So with that, we're going to get diving into it. And this is going to be interesting. We are uh, live with this recording, Matthew and I, today on, on July 6, 2022. So we have some people who are commenting with us live on Facebook and YouTube. And we're going to have an interesting conversation today. And And when we were talking about this in prep, Matthew, we were discussing how certainly we just had this big Supreme Court decision. And based on the questions that I'm getting from people and that our customer service team is getting from people, my impression is that the average concealed carrier may not really be clear on what the impacts of that decision are. But also, I think that we wanted to have a, a kind of a, a you know, one step above that conversation because in addition to that recent Supreme Court decision, frankly, concealed carry as a thing has changed dramatically in the last just two to three years uh, because in addition to the Supreme Court decision, we've also seen a pretty mass rollout um, of a lot of states adopting constitutional carry laws. And those two things combined might be creating some confusion that I think need to be addressed. Yeah. And plus, you know, there with the influx of new gun owners um, and not just gun owners ownership for you know, hunting or recreational shooting, but for self-defense, you have like a lot of movement as far as legislation, um, things, you know, new gun owners, new, new people getting uh, permits or where there isn't a permit. And then you have, you know, all the uh, kind of people that have had permits for a while, maybe not up to date with the legislative changes. So the, you have new gun owners coming in and asking questions on forums and things and, and then getting some outdated information. So it, it, it's a perfect storm for, you know, misinformation or confusion. And uh, hopefully we can just kind of clear up some of it and show, you know, what, what positives come from these, you know, big sweeping Supreme court case type uh, rulings. And, and, and then some of, you know, the unfortunate negatives that, happen to also, you know, tag along with, with, uh, with anything is good. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with that context in mind, having some sense for where we're going with this, I think we start with the most recent thing with the Supreme court decision. And we talk about what it is, what it does mean. And then maybe there's some frequently asked questions. And then I think we can circle back Matthew and talk about, constitutional carry and how that's impacted things and, and then kind of maybe see if we can pull it all into some cohesive thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. So let's start with Supreme Court decision. I think I will take a stab at trying to concisely explain this decision and then I'm going to pass it to you and I'm going to give you some I'll call frequently asked questions and let you respond to those. Does that sound like a, a good balance? I'll try to respond best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, this recent decision came about because New York, and specifically New York City and its various boroughs, uh, was requiring concealed carry permit applicants to demonstrate good cause. I'll use that term generically because several states were doing something very similar in New York City, and 
different states or counties may use different terms, but the rough gist is the idea that you needed to substantiate your need of a concealed carry permit, that you needed to demonstrate why you specifically need one. And, you know, things that we might think is obvious, like, well, because like one day I might have to protect myself, would not meet that kind of qualification uh, in, in the city of New York. You know, you might need to be able to show that you've received death threats and that you carry around lots of cash that makes you a target or, you know, something like that. And, it, you know, the bar was pretty high. And in a place like New York City, where there's multiple licenses in place, you know, you have a, a license you need to be able to buy a gun. You, need, you have a license you need in order to have a gun at your house. And then a separate license, obviously, to take that gun outside the home. And that's really where a lot of that rubber hit the road. And that's where this case came into play, where someone said, wait a minute, I don't think it's constitutional. I don't think I'm being given my granted my constitutional rights if I have to demonstrate some call in order to be granted a concealed carry permit. And so the U.S. Supreme Court uh, agreed with that that individual and the association that was tagged on to that case and said, "You're right. You you don't you shouldn't have to demonstrate that. Like just the fact that you're an American and that you uh, have a second good enough." that you have the right to have that gun outside of your home, which New York would, because remember what I said, different licenses for keeping a gun at the house versus taking it out of the house. And so, you, you know, the, the second amendment protects your right to have that gun for self-defense specifically outside of your home. And so what New York city is doing therefore is unconstitutional and requiring someone to demonstrate some specific need or, 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 or cause for having one. That's what the Supreme Court decision said. Now, what should be the implications of that? Well, the implication should be that any jurisdiction, city or, or county or state in America, that was requiring people to uh, demonstrate some specific need in order to obtain a permit, that should be done away with. The Supreme Court said you can't do that anymore. And there's a lot of jurisdictions that were doing that. In addition to New York City, uh, we know that Massachusetts and Maryland uh, Maryland especially uh, does that. Hawaii does that. Uh, in California, it's a California law says you have to have a good cause, but they allow the county sheriff to interpret what that means. So some county sheriffs were like, hey, just you saying you want one's a good enough cause for me, while another county sheriff was saying, no, 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 like prove your need, similar to what New York City was doing. So uh, New Jersey would be another example of this. So there's a handful, we're not talking about a large number of states, but a handful of states that are going to have to change some policies because of this U.S. Supreme Court decision. And the terminology that we would most often associate with this is this idea of may issue versus shall issue. So if you've heard that terminology before, previously some states were may issue, meaning yeah, we might give you a permit if you can prove the need. And other states were shall issue, meaning, hey, if you apply and you pass a background check, you get it. Like there's no discretionary determination about your need you just applying and be, and meeting the qualification on paper is good enough. And so this Supreme Court decision, to be real short, effectively forces all states to be shall issue. We should, we should be able to eliminate that thing from our vocabulary because now it's an equal playing field. Everyone is shall issue. How's that for a summary, Matthew? Outstanding. Yeah. So with that in mind, here's some common questions that we're receiving as a company about this Supreme Court decision. So let's, let's start with this. Um, Matthew, does this now mean I can carry my gun in New York or any other state for that matter? 
<laughs> no. So um, what this what this ruling did do, you know, w- what it did say is exactly what you said and nothing nothing outside of that. Right. So we can't extrapolate this and say, well, you know, the Supreme Court said I have a right to carry a firearm outside of my home. Therefore, it scrapped any sort of uh, permitting processes that any state can impose on you know, that, that the carrying the firearm, right? So states are still allowed to implement, um, a licensing program. Um, and I I think the, the, where, where the next kind of, you know, maybe attack on the permit process itself, um, is going to be is what, what are the reasonable limitations that a government can impose through this permitting process? Because, and not to get off on a different tangent yet, but we can, you, if you're thinking ahead, you can kind of say, all right, the states that had this, you know, may issue a good cause as part of their process are obviously that's not a, a, a public safety issue, right? Like people, that are going and and shooting up, you know, a a bunch of people or committing crimes aren't worried about applying for a concealed carry permit typically. Right. So it's more of a limiting kind of a, uh, I I guess a governor or a limiter on the number of people applying and getting and carrying firearms. It's, 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 and it's only applying to, to people that go through the legal process. So, what these states are going to do is because that's their ultimate goal, the, the government in these states, is that they're going to implement other laws or other regulations or impose other restrictions, such as, well, we had a eight-hour class. We can't do shall issue you know, uh, or may issue anymore. So instead of doing eight hours, now we're going to raise that, that training to 15 hours. And so that's going to be the limiter on and how they do this and and whether it be fees or extra training or restrictions on, you know, what we can talk, we'll we'll talk about specifics. But um, so I think that's the next question or the next kind of area. Right. Right. So I I, I just think that we're kind of shifting the goalposts down. We've taken away, you know, a, 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 discretionary judgment call on some sheriff or some unelected person to determine whether you are, you have the right to, to, you know, get a permit or not. And now that that's off the table, what, what's the next one that they're going to use to limit that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, some people see this as a very sudden thing, but this is a, this is something that's progressing over time. Like go back and look at the McDonald case, the right U S Supreme court decision in the McDonald case. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago that there were not concealed carry permit programs in all 50 states. Uh, Wisconsin and Illinois, since I've been in this business, which is relatively not that long, I got in this business about 2007, uh, Wisconsin and Illinois, there was no such thing as a concealed carry permit. And it was a U.S. Supreme Court decision that, uh, that effect, and a federal, court, a federal district decision, too, that effectively forced those states to implement that kind of program. So it was sort of like a, well, let everybody do it all the time or regulate it somehow, but you have to perform provide some method by which someone can do this right and so think like think historically right the supreme court already affirmed the right to take a gun out of the home for self-defense that was already affirmed back then in the in the in the mcdonald case and in heller too for that matter so so states said oh geez okay the supreme court said 
we had to allow people to have a method, a legal way to take a gun outside the home for self-defense. So we'll we'll follow suit and do what a lot of these other states have done, and we'll create this concealed carry permit thing that people could apply for and obtain. And if they have one, then then they'd be allowed to do that. But Supreme Court, not so fast, not so fast. What we're going to do is we're going to put the bar at a certain place for what's going to be required to obtain that permit, and then we're going to give the law enforcement uh, agency who's in charge of this discretionary capability to determine who who actually should get one or not. So, so this is this is not like an all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, the Supreme Court said the Second Amendment, you know, grants your right to have a gun outside the home. Like, no, we that's been true for over. A de- the Supreme Court already said that, like 15 years ago. What so and, and the states already adapted to that requirement and and created another barrier to prevent people from getting concealed carry permits. And now here we are, you know, over a decade later, in the Supreme Court saying that barrier that you put into place is unconstitutional. You can't do that. It's okay for you to have some restrictions, and the Supreme Court decision you know, details out what some of those restrictions might be, like places where someone can't take a gun or, or, or training requirements in order to obtain a permit. But it's not okay for you to have discretionary ability to just say one person can and the next person can't because of some arbitrary line of threat that they you know, risk that they have. So, so it's it's not a new concept that the U.S. Supreme Court is affirming that the Second Amendment grants your your ability to have a gun outside the home. It's all the U.S. Supreme Court is effectively doing is saying, "Hey, um, we're reaffirming that this is a right that's already granted. This, our our court has already determined this, and this specific barrier you guys put into place is unconstitutional. It has to go away." So, the natural progression, Matthew, to your point is. For states to say, okay, well, you've removed that tool in our toolbox. You've said that's not a reasonable restriction. So we're going to go look at a bunch of that we'll, we'll say are reasonable until you say otherwise, until the U.S. Supreme Court says otherwise, right? And so that's that, you know, because the, these U.S. Supreme Court decisions continue to say some reasonable, this particular one is not. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to come into place and only time will tell if they are you know reasonable or not yeah and and that's where and, and see it's it's all about like wording and definitions of terms and specific words are being used when you hear like the president say something like no no um uh, no right is absolute well you know he he he's he's Right in a sense, right? Because there are reasonable limitations on the Bill of Rights, right? Like there are, there are certain um, reasonable limitations, but the way they're the way they want it to appear, or the way they're they're phrasing that, is to get you to assume or to concede that you don't really actually have a, a Second Amendment right that is you know, shall not be infringed, that it's, it's, it's inherently, um, you know, inherently that it's sort of, um, I guess, curtailed and that we're giving you, we're, we're allowing it in certain areas as opposed to you have the right, but we can sort of um, limit it. it th- they're kind of flipping that terminology backwards and saying, you only have the right that we give you. And I think that that's where we're starting to see people well, welcomely or willingly give up rights saying, well, we don't really have, we we shouldn't really have that right anyways. And, um, and so 
I think when we look at this as, you know, it, it, we do have an individual right to, to protect ourselves and to carry firearms. And, and, and the crazy thing is, and I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here for, for a brief second, is that like concealed carry is relatively new. But if we just pause and think about it, you know, like who, who is following the law and getting concealed carry permits and doing these things? It's, it's people that are law abiding to begin with or, or have a desire, right? Like certainly people commit violations that, you know, have a permit, but like the desire to go out and do something legally, the legal process and to jump through the hoops and and do this requires somebody to want to be law abiding and whether or not there's a concealed carry permit process or not, criminals are carrying firearms. They have been, they will be. And uh, so I think that we're we're looking. They're using this concealed carry license process as like a gun control tool to stop crime. When most criminals are not getting a concealed carry license, so that that that's not a limiting factor on guys going out and girls going out and committing crimes, right? So um, I just it, while concealed carry is a new, new concept. I mean, relatively, like I said, I, I don't know if it was frozen when I said this or not, but Ohio, I think you said you, you know, um, when Colorado first implemented their program, but Ohio didn't, didn't implement a concealed carry license program till 2004. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. 2003 in Colorado. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the first states, I think, uh, now I'm going to butcher this, but I think Florida was among the first states to really create a concealed carry permitting program. I think it was in the 80s. So, yeah, it's a relatively new thing. And and we've seen the Supreme Court reaffirm over and over again that you have a right to have a gun for, for self-defense in the home. And then in follow-up Supreme Court decisions, no, you also have a right to have that gun outside the home. And we've seen uh, governing bodies uh, try and work around these these guarantees the Supreme Court is affirming that the Second Amendment gives you uh, by finding other ways to to restrict your rights. So that's that's the good news. The good news is one more barrier, one more tool that the anti-gun legislature had has been removed by this recent Supreme Court decision. The bad news is that that states will respond to that and create other barriers and challenges. But it's 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 still moving in the right direction. It's still a good thing. But I think the most important thing to communicate is that it doesn't change anything else. So the, the questions we're getting about, well, recipro- what does this mean for reciprocity? Can I take my gun everywhere now? No, no, no. It changes nothing about reciprocity at all. States can still determine, you know, like the Supreme Court did not say, no matter where you're from, you have a right to have a gun for personal defense outside the home in any other state. Like it wasn't that specific. So reciprocity continues to be a thing that the nature of Supreme court decisions is they do tend to be very narrow. They're looking at a very specific thing and they're, they're making a decision based on that very specific thing. In this case, that specific thing does impact a small number of States who had this good cause discretionary ability. So for whatever that's worth, that's gone now. And that's important. That's good. Before we talk more about constitutional carry and how it's impacting uh, the landscape, Matthew, let's talk about some specifics of things we're seeing. So since the Supreme Court decision, what are some specific impact that we, we've we seen, which has been a couple, I don't know, a week and a half or something now. So first, we've seen um, states all say comply. 
We've seen California, uh, New Jersey, uh, most recently Maryland. Um, those are ones that come to my mind. Uh, uh, comply in that they're you know, attorney generals or some governor or somebody is sending letters down to the, the people who issue permits and saying, hey, you know, in light of this Supreme Court decision, we can no longer uh, have this good cause thing in, in place. You know, no more discretionary ability, no more asking these people these questions. So let's, you know, let's let's remove that. So we've seen that happen. But we've also seen a couple of states, Matthew, and I'm going to pass this over to you because I know you've done some of the research. We see some states say, okay, Supreme Court, you're going to remove that one single tool we had, fine. So we're going to now, you know, pass these other laws that add these other restrictions. Yeah, exactly. So um, we, so in New York, New York, um, the governor, uh, Hochul, um, she called an emergency session back to, for, for the legislature in New York and had an emergency session to address um the concealed carry license um, <laughs> ruling, right? This the the Supreme Court uh, ruling that would remove their ability to uh, have an arbitrary means test on applying uh, for uh, your concealed carry permit. That's how in, that's how important this was. Um, so what they did was the legislature uh, agreed on a bill's package and or, or voted on it. It's not approved. It hasn't been signed. It's not law. But some of the things that they were talking about in this uh, or agreed upon in this uh, legislative process in New York would be um, they would expand the sensitive area zones or no gun zones to like basically all public places where children were present. So like zoos, malls. Um, I mean, like basically every everywhere you could think of where you could potentially say children are present and we need to protect children, it would be a no carry zone. So you're at the same time of issuing a permit, you're neutering the the, the effectiveness of that person to have the permit to be able to carry anywhere. And what you do is you create a patchwork of areas where a person goes and they become you know, they do something illegal and then that permit is revoked or, or whatnot. Right. Um, that was one of them. Um, they also, um, expanded the, the, uh, or want to expand the list of these disqualify disqualifications. So this would include nebulous terms or, you know, not defined terms like, um, people that have, um, uh, mental health, um, issues, Right. So we're not talking about a defined term like they've been committed um, against their, you know, their will to a mental health institution. They're judged um, mentally incompetent by, you know, uh, a judge or or something. This could be something like, hey, you know, your doctor said that you're prescribed antidepressants because you, you're depressed and therefore that's a mental health issue. And we're revoking your permit or you're, we're not even going to issue it to you. Um, that 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 was uh, something that was on this. Um, another one would be um, they wanted to raise the uh, training to 15 hours uh, of in-person training um, and place storage restrictions. Um, so these safe storage laws that basically, you know, are after the fact um, punitive, you know, uh, laws that 
I, you know, if, if, if you have to buy a safe that is approved by New York and use that safe, and if your gun is stolen and, you know, and it's not in a safe and used in a crime, then you're charged with the, you know, the, the, these are the types of, of things that they believe are reasonable to um, impose uh, in, I guess, response to the Supreme Court decision. So it, it was, it was a broad kind of, response to something that was uh, specific towards concealed carry license, you know, permit process, but they cast a wide net to try to lump this in. Um, And so that was, like I said, that was something that was in New York, not a law, not laws yet, not, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. I assume some of those in some form would be passed, but New Jersey actually passed a seven part comprehensive gun control bill um, with some, several of those same things um, present and, and their governor, Phil Murphy signed that into law um, with much fanfare. And um, yeah, so the seven part, uh, you know, package of gun control bills. Um, one allows attorney general to bring cause of action for certain public nuisance violations arising from sales or marketing of firearms. I, I don't know. I mean, th- apparently that's some sort of runaround uh, to, to chart, you know, be able to uh, sue gun owners or gun manufacturers or maybe FFLs or, or businesses out of business, you know, um, harass them with, with lawsuits. Uh, the, another one requires firearm owners who, who become New Jersey residents to attain firearm purchase identification cards and register handguns acquired out of state. Uh, it would upgrade certain crimes related to manufacturing firearms from third degree to second degree, uh, reverses or revises a definition of destructive device to include certain 50 caliber weapons or caliber rifles. So basically it would outlaw, or it does outlaw any 50 caliber uh, rifles in New Jersey, um, regulate sales of am- handgun ammunition, develops a system of electronic reporting of handgun ammunition sales. So, you you know, uh, passing background checks. And it, I, I don't know the depth of this, if it puts a limit on how much ammunition you can buy at once or per month, similar to, I believe, uh, California has something similar to that. Uh, requires training for issuance of firearms purchaser identification card and permit to purchase handgun under certain circumstances provides that firearm purchaser identification card include a photograph and thumbprint remain valid for 10 years um seems like a a uh, an administrative thing that they're doing uh it, it differently than before and the final one requires firearm retailers to sell micro stamping enabled firearms upon determination of availability by attorney general so um how that pans out it, given the fact that micro stamping is something that manu- uh, gun manufacturers are not adopting due to the the cost and the impracticability of 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 that um that is another kind of backdoor way of just really removing the ability for people to get specific guns and, and limiting the amount um, that they have to, to draw from. Right. And so by not saying you can't carry a gun, but we're just going to allow you to carry these, this small roster of guns, like in California. Um, I know there's some people that um, like Mark, he's in the comments section, um, faithful listener here, but, um, and he's in California and, you know, so 
he knows about all the California restrictions limiting, uh, you know, the, the roster of guns that you're allowed to own. Um, now, you know, I think an argument could be made, you know, if you're limiting um, arbitrarily guns and, and, and um, you know, are you also limiting my ability to, you know, defend myself with with firearms that are in use, you know, um, reasonably um, not military grade, nothing like that. We're not talking about tanks or rocket launchers like everybody will 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 kind of throw in there to kind of mislead you. We're talking about a nine millimeter firearm that doesn't have a magazine disconnect. You can't own that. Um, it, it, those are in common use. And so I think that there's going to be some, I, I think that there is room to, to, to kind of argue that point too. Right. So I think we're going to see some of these arguments um, come up. Uh, AJ says he's in New Jersey. Yeah. Unfortunately, man. Um, yeah. Am, ammunition registration. Right. So an interesting thing, and I'll get back to one comment that Mark made that was uh, really good. And I think, you know, would tie a bow on kind of uh, this conversation about the Supreme Court ruling is um, one of the comments that was made during um, the signing of this bill in New Jersey or these bills. Um, they talked about that they needed firearm registration. Um, and here, here, here's, it's from Assemblywoman Lisa Swain, and she says, firearm registration not only promotes responsible gun ownership, but it helps protect first responders by alerting them to the possible presence of a firearm before they arrive at the scene of an emergency. These benefits cannot be fully realized unless every legal gun owner takes part in our registration system, which is why this new law is so critical to ensuring the safety of residents throughout our state. And we constantly harp on this fact that like these gun laws will always fail. Um, and, and, and it all hinges on gun registration. Like you can't have red flag laws without gun registration. You can't effectively, you know, implement these laws without gun registration, because if you come to my house, you don't know how many guns I have. And if you want to seize my guns, because I, you know, I have a mental illness or whatever, and you see five of them, I might have a sixth or seventh or eighth that you don't know about unless they're registered. And so this, and, and for, for the longest, everybody said, no, you know, we don't, we don't need, a, you know, we're not trying to register everybody's guns and we're not trying to take guns. Well, slowly and surely we know that we see that this is exactly what needs to happen and what they want to have happen. And then into the registration. Yeah, sorry, I got disconnected there for a minute. Last time I was doing a podcast, my power went out. This time, my my internet just all went down. So mm. we're we're hot spotting now, which appears to be more stable than my normal internet. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure everything you said while I was gone was great, Matthew. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to continue to see attempts to abuse our your Second Amendment freedoms as. Uh, because even 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 though it's a it's a long term loss, frankly, like I I gotta believe these legislature legislative bodies bodies know that it's a long term lo loss. And what I mean by that is that these new restrictions they're putting in place are going to get challenged, and the U U.S. Supreme Court's almost certainly going to say these are unconstitutional, but they don't care. Like they'll happily take the short term the short term win, knowing that they can always worry about that later. And that's that's the nature of this kind of thing. That's that's just how these things work. As we saw how long it takes to get the U.S. Supreme Court 
to to take you know to decide to to look at something, let alone make a decision on it. So it's just the nature of the beast. These things take time, um, and a lot of these things, it's it's gonna it's just we got to keep on fighting those battles in order to see what's going to happen. Uh, you know, gun registration is another interesting one where we have a handful of jurisdictions in this country that have gun registration in place, despite us having a federal law that says they they can't. Right, they're effectively kind of grandfathered in prior to the 1986 uh, Firearm Owner Protection Act being passed, which prohibits that kind of a database. So these challenges will continue to happen, and um, these challenges are important, so we can continue to remove these unconstitutional restrictions that exist. Yeah, and and exactly what you're saying is that, you know, knowing that it's a long-term loss – that doesn't factor into the, that doesn't persuade them not to, to pursue these things because it is a, it is an overall win for them, right? Like, because it, it took 10 years for this, this, uh, I, I believe this was around 10 years, right? This, um, New York, uh, state rifle and pistol, uh, case, this Supreme court ruling, it took 10 years for it to get there and for this decision to finally be made. And so how many hours and in, in dollars in, in effort goes into, you know, fighting these laws and they know that. And, but in the meantime, they frustrate owners and they know that like, okay, it's, it's long-term we'll lose, but in the short term, you know, there may be injunctions and, and stuff like that, but we're going to get, we're going to, we're, our, our effect is we're frustrating legal gun ownership and at the same time permitting lawlessness by crazy bail reforms and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. So I guess what I'm trying to say is to your point is that, yes, I don't think the long-term, I don't think anybody any of these politicians are concerned long-term with a, a, a law being struck down. And, and, and it's not even just that uh, Mark brought up the point about California. Um, uh, they're releasing the list of concealed carry permit owners, right? Their addresses, their names. And now it was an accident. Supposedly, maybe it was, yeah. maybe it wasn't right. Who knows? But the, 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 end result of it, whether it was an accident or intentional is the same, right? Like you have a list of thousands and thousands of California gun owners with concealed carry permits on a public uh, website with their names in, in, in addresses, physical home addresses. I mean, how crazy, right? And this is the problem of, you know, it, it's not always a nefarious Maybe it, maybe this was a genuine mistake, but the more centralized, you know, lists and in rosters and things like that that you give, it can be used either inappropriately or the safeguards not in place to protect that 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 you know those uh, that privacy. Yep. Yep. I'm going to transition us a little bit to talk about another thing that's been impactful to our community to our our this concept of concealed carry in the last couple of years. And that is the um, proliferation of constitutional carrier, permitless carrier, whatever you want to call it. These laws that many States have adopted recently that allow that a person can carry a gun outside the home concealed without a permit. So permitless carrier, constitutional carry being the more common terms we use to describe that. These have just happened a lot lately. You know, just, just to kind of paint some picture, if we went back to, you know, 
January 1st, 2019, I, I'm, I'm not going to quote exact numbers here because I'm not in a position, I haven't done my research perfectly, but I think at that time we were probably right around 15 or 16 states with constitutional carry. Fast forward here to July 2022, and we have 25 with laws on the books. I think there might be one or two still to go into effect. Indiana just went into effect a couple of days ago. So we're now at a place where half of the states in this country have constitutional carry laws. And these also create a, a change to our landscape to to what we're used to. And they create a lot of Q&A as well and confusion for people. So I think we also need to kind of clarify what they are and what they're not and what it means for people. Well, let me let me start here and, and maybe this will sum it up pretty well, or maybe Matthew will have some other thoughts. But uh, a more one of the more common things we get is on our website, on, on concealedcarry.com, and also in our app, if you download the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, which is free, we have a permit map building tool. You go to the website or the, or the app, you say, oh, I have a, a resident permit from this state. And I, if, if you have additional non-resident permits from other states, then you would indicate that. You would type, you know, you would you know, say what states you have those from. And you hit the button, show map, and boom, it spits out your reciprocity map. And we get a lot of emails from people who get upset because they may not have reciprocity in a state that is constitutional carry. And they think we've screwed up. Like what, you know, how is it that Maine is red on this map on your guys' website? You know, how is it that you can say I don't have reciprocity there when, when they, they, that's a constitutional carry state. Anybody can carry there. And so that, and that's a valid like question to ask. And it's, and it leads to a lot of confusion. So I'm going to start there. Cause I think this is a, a place where a lot of people are getting mixed up or confused. And so we need we need to clarify just some core things that are different between permit carry and permitless carry. And frankly, this little supposed accident out of California maybe gives people uh, more incentive to want to do permitless carry. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea that maybe I don't want to be on some list that supposedly the government is is protecting from public view. Uh, maybe as an incentive to to want to do permitless carry, but permitless carry is an interesting beast because uh, it, it, it I don't I don't know of a single state in this country that has permitless or constitutional carry laws and affords that person the concealed carrier who doesn't have a permit all the same rights as someone who does have a permit. The only exception would be Vermont because Vermont has no permits. So there's, there's no like, apples to compare to other apples. There's just one apple. There's only one choice and that's permitless carry. But in the other 24 States that have some form of permitless or constitutional carry, there's a, there's distinct differences in terms of restrictions placed on someone who doesn't have a permit versus someone who does. So I think it's important to understand that. And that also then has an impact on reciprocity. So for example, uh, you know, I mentioned Maine, so we'll just stick with the, well, that as an example. In, in Maine, you permitless carry does not give you a right to have a firearm, for example, within a thousand feet of a school, whereas having a permit would. I'm no expert in Maine law, so someone can call me out if I'm if I'm off on this. I'm trying to just pick a, an example out of the air here, but but that would mean then that me, as a person who doesn't live in Maine, if I have a permit that has that that is not recognized in Maine, but Maine still will allow any non-resident to come carry, con- you know, via their permitless carry law, 
that means that I also am restricted the same way someone in Maine would be restricted who doesn't have a permit. And those restrictions are relevant. And I, and I think this is getting people really confused, Matthew. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on you know, what are the confusions and, and concerns that all this you know, rollout of constitutional carry are creating uh, for our community? Yeah. So, so Ohio recently, I think they were, we were the 23rd state uh, or maybe 24th out of the 25th. So very recently. Um, and I think that states are getting smarter with how they're drafting these laws. Um, but they're, like you said, there still is some really, um, I guess, nuanced differences. So Ohio's law is actually pretty good. And I'll use it as an example because in, in most part, the Ohio law says like, whatever a legal permit, if you held a permit, whatever that person could do, you can do without a permit. Now, the difference is, is that when you apply for a permit, th the restrictions that they, that the state can use to, to deny your permit as far as legal restrictions, um, maybe some minor misdemeanors that uh, maybe like some drug charges that federally uh, or federally wouldn't prohibit you, but by state statute allows them to not issue you a license. So if you don't qualify for those, if you don't fall under that criteria, right? Like let's say federally I can own a firearm, but because of, you know, Ohio prohibits somebody who had a, a certain marijuana charge, say for example, and federally that wouldn't prohibit me, but by the state statute, it would. Now, if I don't have a permit and I can say, I can go buy a firearm, I can say, well, I'm good. I passed a background check. I should be able to carry constitutionally or permitlessly because, if I can pass, if I can buy a gun, I should be able to get a permit. Well, no, not, not always. Right. So there can be these kind of legally legal gray areas. Um, and so I think that what we, what we need to do is really understand that like each state still governs how they're running that, that constitutional or permit permitless carry program and they may apply it to only people that are residents they may apply it to you know non-residents who, who who have a permit or it might just be anybody that comes into the state can carry as long as they're not prohibited in, in anywhere in between right so um while it makes it a little bit easier i think for you if you're in your own state to learn that state it still requires some understanding or research in the law of the state that you're traveling to or through to make sure that, you know, yes, you can carry in that state, even if it's constitutional carry, because just because it shows up green on a map on, uh, on the internet doesn't necessarily mean that you should grab your gun and, and go there. All right. That's good stuff. Thank you for proving me wrong. It's so gently too. I, I just got done saying that I wasn't aware of a single state with constitutional carry where there weren't additional restrictions placed on people without permits versus with permits. And apparently that's not the case. Ohio, the way it was drafted very specifically guaranteed that the rights would be the same. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I didn't know that about the Ohio law. I think that's pretty awesome. But to your point, the other challenge there is that they, if you don't go get an Ohio permit, 
you may or may not really know. I mean, you might be in this sort of middle ground of like, I actually don't know if I could get a permit. I don't know if I can carry under constitutional permitless carry or not. Exactly. And the only way for me to find out would be to go apply for a permit and get mm-hmm. one. Right. Uh, and, and so that's kind of a, a goofy thing. But I, I will at least stand by what I said and just change it from uh, to, to mostly. I think yes. mostly states with permitless carry place additional restrictions on people who, who are carrying via a permitless carry authority versus with a permit. And because of that, reciprocity remains relevant, meaning that if your permit's not honored by a state that, that is constitutional carry, then that would mean that, oh, well, it, maybe it doesn't matter. They don't honor your permit. You can still carry constitutionally or via whatever permitless carry authority that state grants you. But it does not necessarily mean that it, it, it would be the same as if your permit were honored there. Because having a permit honored there means that you could do, you have the same authority as one of, as someone with their permit would have. And that is different authority than someone without their permit has. And so reciprocity remains relevant despite the cat, that issue. So you need to understand that, that, that these states, as they roll out constitutional carry, that does not make reciprocity irrelevant. Uh, unless that state just honors all permits from everywhere, I suppose that then then, then it, it does kind of make it irrelevant. Assuming you have a permit from your home state, but but I think that that's that you, that's an important distinction that gets people really confused. Now that we have twenty five states with permitless carry laws, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, no, it, it, and I'll just add on exactly what you're talking about in, in the same sense is that like what there. I, I hear all the time, like, well, what's the problem with getting a permit? You know, there, if, if I don't have anything to hide, I, I don't need to get, you know, I don't need to worry about getting a permit and blah, 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 and this and that. And that may be, I mean, like, I, I can understand somebody saying, I don't have a problem getting a permit. And there are definite reasons to get a permit. And, but like, like you were talking about earlier with, with the release of the names and, and with different things like that, like, I, I can, I, I think as we go along and we see the ineptness of the government, the uh, not the government, every single government employee everywhere, I'm saying like certain institutions and the, the inability to safeguard information and the desire to use um, information against, um, you know, gun owners or people that, whether it be a, you know, a roster of who has received this or not received that or whatever it might be. I think as we go along and we we go through this concealed carry license processing thing um, and, and see it on, on a bigger scale, we start to, at least for me, I'm starting to, to see a little bit more uh, legitimacy to somebody who says, look, I, I, I want to be able to carry a firearm for self-defense. I don't want to have to register with the government in order to do that. I don't think I should have to. I'm not a threat to anybody except somebody who wants to, you know, end my life or somebody else's. And I'm legal to buy and possess in in in, in every single way possible uh, a firearm. And I and at the same time, you know, there there are criminals right now that are carrying firearms and not even having this discussion about permits and reciprocity and where you can go and signage, right? Like they don't care. And those are the people that, you know, that you as law enforcement and government should be directing your efforts towards, not us. And so um I don't know. I think I think like I was kind of saying is that states are starting to get 
you know, smarter in how they draft these laws, understanding the pitfalls and the, and the problems of this patchwork, you know, especially for people who travel uh, across state lines, how, how, you know, you, you could be trying to do everything you possibly can and, and, and just mess up and, and not understand the law cross over a line and, you know, it could be potentially a felony. Yeah, things are definitely moving in the right way. I think that's that's a good kind of core takeaway there, Matthew. From what you're at least that's what I'm taking from what you're saying is that we need to we need to think of it that way. That these are wins that we're having, and the, and the, and generally th- speaking, things are moving the right way. And if we got more and more states on cost, with constitutional carry, like I'm all for that. I'm I'm a big fan. And if we got to a world where there was no really incremental advantage that's relevant to my lifestyle to getting a permit, I wouldn't get one. Um, I got no problem avoiding that. I also you know, I certainly don't want random people to be able to go to the government website and pull my name and address. Uh, that's a serious problem. But I'm also not so naive as to think that I'm not getting a permit would keep the government at large from knowing I'm a gun owner. Like <laughs> there are way too many ways for them to figure that out for me to think that the concealed carry permit is going to be the determining factor. Um, but but certainly my privacy relative to the public at large, I think, is relevant and, and something that would concern me. Um, and, and so that's all very valid and good. I, I guess we're going to start to wrap this up and I'm going to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. You've, I'm, I'm on record, right? Like I've said many times and I continue to feel strongly that the gun control versus gun rights battle is happening and will continue to happen at the state level. And, and these recent changes only affirm that. Okay. The, we, there's not that many federal laws on the book. We have, we have the second amendment. We have 1934 uh, uh, NFA. We have 1968 Gun Control Act. We have the 1986 Fire Motor Protection Act. And then we got three or four Supreme Court decisions that are pretty important. Heller 1, Heller 2, McDonald, and this latest one, Bruin in New York. So so there's really not that much at the federal level happening relative to legislation and guns. It's the states. The states are where the battle is happening. We see a lot of wins, wins like constitutional carry in places like Texas and Ohio. And we see losses. Like these these new packages of laws that are going through in New York and New Jersey, and probably more that we'll see here soon. I'm guessing from Maryland, uh, California, Hawaii, and uh, and and others as well. Probably Massachusetts to be included in that. And there'll be challenges on those laws, but the the battle continues to happen at the state level. That's I'm not saying like don't worry about who you vote for for your for the the you know the U.S. Congress or or the president. I'm saying that that, that this battle is going to happen at the state level. Because at the national level, it's always been clear, and it continues to be clear, that at least for the long term, not saying the short term, but at least for the long term, the only real way to win the gun control fight is to eliminate the Second Amendment, to take it off the books. Because regardless of how it's interpreted at any given time, in any given place, we all know that long-term play here is that the Second Amendment will always uphold and affirm our right to have a firearm for self-defense wherever and when and however we need it. And that that at, at large, that's always going to be what the Second Amendment is going to do. The Supreme Court sees that over and over and over and over again. And so ultimately, the gun control fight, if those guys want to really, really establish gun control in some long-term way in this country, they're going to have to get rid of the Second Amendment. They're going to have to take it off the books. Everything else is a short-term, a short-term win. And those short-term and long-term battles are, are now happening at the state level because of that reality. Uh, that I, I feel strongly that's just the truth and the rea- of how this is going to go and how it's been going uh, since 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 day day zero in this game. So 
the the last thing I'll I'll add is that well I say last thing I got two more thoughts and then I'll <laughs> I'll let you finish this off Matthew. Do not make bad assumptions. Be educated on these on things that are changing. Do not just assume that constitutional carry means you can take a gun anywhere anytime or that permit reciprocity no longer matters or that you have all the same authority as if you had a permit. Do not assume that a US Supreme Court decision that says that affirms your right to have a gun outside the home for self-defense means that you can take it anywhere in this country, anywhere outside of a home and have it for self-defense. That's not what it means. These things are very narrow in scope and being educated is important to making sure that friends and family and other people with whom you converse on these topics are also educated is also very important. So we continue to keep people out of, out of those issues in trouble. And my, my last thought is this just for fun. Um, we continue to see that probably the biggest, most impactful thing that a U.S. president does is have some say and influence over who gets into the Supreme court. So, Trump appointed three people to uh, appointed whatever the right word is nominated uh, three different people to the Supreme Court during him, uh, and and <laughs> more than than uh, Obama did during his eight. So it, when you're thinking about U.S. presidential election, come the next time that comes around, the the U.S. Supreme Court is a huge, probably the impacting power factor that the U.S. president imp- it touches relative to our Second Amendment rights. And uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has done a good job every time it's come up. Every single time a Second Amendment question has come up, the U.S. Supreme Court has very cleanly and accurately, in my own opinion, affirmed what, this, what the Second Amendment means. And I, I think that that is in large part due to having the right people in that court and obviously to the Second Amendment meaning what it means. So, a uh, lot of lot of things happening here in the last couple of years. In my opinion, broadly speaking, good things. If you live in one of those places where the battle continues to rage, go to go to battle, go to fight. You know, get it, get get involved, get in the fight. Matthew, final thoughts from you. Final quick thoughts is you know we have guys that and gals that listen to the show that are in New Jersey, California, uh, you know, um, Washington State, Hawaii, and you know, I, I can tell you, I'll, I'll just reiterate what you, you know, what, what Jacob said about um, it is a state level fight first and foremost. And, and I didn't see it as clearly until I came back to Ohio. I, I was in California. I came back to Ohio, you know, uh, maybe six, seven years ago. Um, and to see a, a local gun rights, ground level organization, which did not compromise and didn't go in there and say, well, these guys are Republicans. We'll, you know, they're on our side and these guys are Democrats. They're not on our side. They looked at every politician skeptically and said, I don't care what the NRA gives you as far as the A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever they give you, we're holding your, your feet to the fire and we're going to make sure that you, you know, push legislation um, and listen to, um, gun rights organizations and people in the state. And, you know, if we vote for you and you run on a pro gun platform, we're going to hold you to that. And if you don't, you're gone. Like we're, <laughs> we'll get you out of office. And so I've seen a tremendous change in gun rights, which Ohio had probably the worst self-defense law in 
in in the whole country and now you know has stand your ground has a a constitutional carry um and so it it is won and lost and i think that's why one of the reasons why if you saw the the bill um that that biden signed it's money incentives to states to implement red flag laws right like it wasn't hey we're going to implement red flag laws in a federal level it was hey we'll give you you know, states will bribe you with your own money, taxpayer money to implement these things, because I think, you know, they know that money is powerful and and, and it's persuasive. And so we have to uh, just continue to pound and, and be be alert. And those guys and, and gals that listen to the show that are in those states, you know, um, I applaud you for not giving up. And, and but you know, continue to fight for, for your rights and, and don't just say, you know, this guy's a Republican, I'll vote for him, or this guy's a Democrat, I won't, uh, you know, make sure that you understand where these people stand on on the rights that are, are on the issues that are most important to you. If it's gun rights, great. If it's something else, you know, maybe that's more important. But if it is gun rights, make sure you understand where they stand. Don't just tick the blue box or the red box. Excellent. I thought of one more thought. I want to get the last word. <laughs> you know, it occurred to me as you were talking about, you know, making sure that we were communicating well and and, and talking to our representatives and things like that, that, that another big influencing factor here is that the gun control folk, when they see the number of background checks being run, when they see the number of people applying for permits, that's got to scare them. It would terrify me. If I was all about getting gun control into place in this country and I was running on an anti-gun platform and I was seeing that, you know, there are, there are an estimated like 15 to 20 million concealed carry permit holders in this country, not counting people who carry under some constitutional carry, you know, authority. And that there were, you know, the increases we're seeing in background checks year over year, the next checks for, for gun purchases, I would be like, holy crap. Like maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. Maybe I'm going to lose power. Maybe I'm not going to get the votes I thought on this platform because it would seem that people are getting pretty pro-gun. So anyway, just another thought there is that uh, you're buying guns, to, you know, submitting yourself to a NICS check and getting a permit uh, is a way, you know, very inadvertently to also communicate your support for guns and to put politicians on notice that Americans were pro-gun. And this is the thing that, that we're going to care about. So anyway, for whatever that's worth. All right. So there you go, guys. We've hit our time limit for today. We've set our say, I think. So with that in mind, we hope that you will consider how you navigate the new constitutional arena or the new concealed carry community and and you know, legal framework that's out there with these significant changes that have happened over the last couple of years with so many states implementing constitutional carry with this recent Supreme Court decision, which continues to affirm something we already knew from past Supreme Court decisions and specifically removes a barrier that some states had put into place to prevent people from getting permits. Make sure we're getting the right information out there. Be a good representative of the gun community. Thank you for all that you do. We appreciate you. We appreciate your business. If you haven't already uh, rated our podcast and written a review, please consider doing so. And please, next time you got to buy some good gun gear, check out concealedcarry.com and give us a chance. We might just have the best price on the bestest thing that you're looking for. So with that in mind, remember to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone.
a reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.